Kim Hancock and his son Cole were on their first father-son camping trip. We got there and he couldn't have been more excited to put that backpack on and hike in. They'd prepared ahead of time and brought the right gear. We hiked up to the waterfall and we took pictures and, and we set up our tent, we set up camp. He, the they fire. were doing exactly what you're supposed to do out in nature. And then everything went wrong. He just started falling head over hills and I just chased after him. 910, the call out text came. 10 year old boy, possible head injuries, need crag rats to respond. Most of us go into the outdoors with a general sense that if we get in trouble, there'll be someone to come help. But what really happens when things go wrong in the wilderness? You don't know. You don't know how far help is away. You're listening to Here in the Gorge, stories that will change your sense of place. I'm Sarah Fox, and in this episode, we get a rare glimpse behind the scenes with the Craig Rats, the oldest mountain search and rescue team in the country. Mount Hood and the Columbia Gorge are full of rivers and trails and waterfalls. They're also just an hour from Portland, which means there's no shortage of outdoor attractions and no shortage of people wanting to explore them. And in 2013, 10-year-old Cole Hancock and his dad, Kim, were two of those people. Oh, he, he just wanted to see snow, not see it. He wanted to, to hike up, up to it. And you, you can always you know, I mean, you can go up to Timberline Lodge in the middle of summer and there's snow because it's a glacier. So Cole and Kim started planning their camping trip. The destination was the White River Canyon, a popular drainage between Timberline and Mount Hood Meadows. It's a spot that gets you out into beautiful country without needing to stray too far from civilization. You can't see the parking lot, but it's not so far out there that you feel like, you know, I'll never get back because it's just up, so all you have to do is go back down. And every time I've been up there, you have cell phone service. In fact, it's better than where we live. But Kim knew that cell coverage and proximity were no substitute for preparation. So in the weeks leading up to the trip, Cole and his dad made sure to get ready. You know, we'd go over things that what would happen if it got really windy or what would happen if, you know, um, we couldn't get off the mountain for a day. He would go out in the backyard and I took the, the bull off of the Weber barbecue. And I'm like, so you gotta figure out how to start these fires and you've gotta be able to do it whether it's windy or whether it's raining. And so he would- And then finally the day arrived and they headed up to Mount Hood. We got there and he couldn't have been more excited to put that backpack on and hike in. You know, as we're going in, this little boy was, I mean, I, I had to stop. I'm talking to him like, you know, I'll, we'll, we'll, take, we'll get up here and we'll, we'll take a rest for you. Oh, Dad, I'll be fine. I don't know that there could have been a happier boy as we, as we went up the hill. I mean, there was moments where it's like, you know, and I have to remind him, like, well, the snow's over there. you got to keep going. And that's what's so tough about accidents. Most of the time, we never see them coming. Richard Hallman says he's not an adrenaline junkie. 
but I can see why people might be skeptical. See, I got my skateboard, surfboard, <laughs> snowboard, kiteboards, stand-up paddleboard. We're in Richard's basement. It looks like it's part man cave, part REI. He has well-organized gear for just about any outdoor sport you can imagine. And when he's not on one of his own adventures, he's probably doing his job, working as an outdoor adventure sports photographer. Despite all this, Richard's love of the outdoors started off normal enough. Uh, I, you know, I was a Boy Scout, and my grandparents taught me how to sail as a kid. My mom and dad were both avid skiers, and so growing up, we never went anywhere warm. We always went skiing. We went. It was that time on skis where things started to click. And in the wintertime, we had, we had a lot of snow. And yeah, as soon as I'd get off the bus, I would get my ski gear together and I'd get a shovel and I'd go up the street and build jumps and you know, I'd be out till after dark. You know, I, I had this goal, I wanted to be a ski patroller and, and it, was, uh, it was an amazing experience. And I think that was a catalyst for a lot of uh, growth for me and, and also opened my eyes to a, a bigger outdoor adventure world. It also brought him face to face with one of the realities of playing outside. Uh, when I became a ski patroller, one of the things that scared me the most was having to do medical work. I used to drive by ambulance scenes and I'd be like, oh, thank God there's somebody that can get out there and do that because I don't think I could do it. But to be a ski patroller, Richard had to get CPR and winter emergency training. And then one thing led to the next and he got his EMT certification. And then before he knew it, he was moving to the gorge and becoming an ER trauma nurse. Being there for somebody in a critical time of need changed my life. It just, I, I, was like, I, I want to do this. Which brings us back to why we're here in Richard's basement. Richard is walking me through what happens when he gets a call for a mission with the Craig Rats. My harness of carabiners, my crampons, my probes. And then... When Richard responds to a call out for a rescue, he quickly figures out what gear he'll need gathers it up, and heads out the door. Another Craig rat, Tom Rousseau, does the same thing. But his path to the outdoors was a little bit different. Hello, radio, one, two, three, four. Am I getting out? Tom is soft-spoken and unflappable. And while other kids were earning their merit badges, Tom was tuning in. You know, my dad got me into the Cub Scouts, and I, I didn't like that. Uh, I couldn't, didn't learn a Morse code, so I couldn't get up to whatever's next, tenderfoot or something, or I don't know, whatever the scales were. And so I flunked out of the Boy Scouts. But I got involved in radios, and I really liked radios and electronics. So that's all I did when I was in high school. Even with these different backgrounds, Richard and Tom both found their way to the Craig Rats, along with many others. We have orchardists, we have engineers, we have lawyers, we have doctors, we have contractors, we have carpenters, we have electricians, EMTs. We all bring different skills. As for Tom, he's a radio guy. And he eventually made a career out of it as an engineer at Tektronics. And it's a skill that comes in pretty handy with the Craig Rats. I have a radio for aircraft, so I can talk directly to an airplane. And then I have some amateur radios, which are good because uh, sometimes we get in places where we can use the amateur radio repeater systems to make contact. It can be easy to assume that your cell phone is your safety net. But what happens when you're on a trail with no cell reception? Or you're lost after dark and your battery's dead? Back before cell phones, if you got it lost, you, it was up to you to get yourself out of there. We had to be self-sufficient. Which isn't to say our phones can't be an invaluable tool when we're headed outdoors. 
We just have to be realistic about how much we actually rely on them. For the Krag Rats, radios are often the lifeline between a victim and the rest of the rescue team. All I have to do is grab this bag. I'm ready to go for radio point of view. Radios for search and rescue. It's clear the Krag Rats take their responsibility seriously. So what's with the name? Most of them have official sounding names, names like Deschutes Mountain Search and Rescue or Portland Mountain Rescue. Uh, we're one of the few that have an oddball name like Krag Rats. And it's a name that goes all the way back to 1926. Well, I think everybody that tells the story has a, a slightly different twist on it. But I think the, uh, in the big picture, it's all about the same. Originally, before it was a formal organization, it was just a bunch of loose guys that climbed around. They often just went up on weekends and climbed around on Mount Hood and, and the like. And, and one time there was a, a lost boy, and he'd been lost for a couple of days. And so I don't know who called it out, probably a sheriff or something for help to look for them. And somebody suggested, well, there's a bunch of these climbers over in the Hood River area that know that part of the mountain pretty well. Maybe they can help. So they did, and they did find a little boy. And so in being interviewed by the, I suppose, the Oregonian or the newspaper, they, they you know, well, what do you call you guys? What do you guys call yourselves? And, you know, I guess there was a pause because there was no name. And somebody just, an impromptu said, well, we call ourselves the Crag Rats because one of the guy's wives had called you, you guys are just a bunch of rats that go climbing around on the mountain on the weekends in the crags. The name stuck. In 2017, the Crag Rats celebrated their 90th birthday. Not too bad for a bunch of rats. Gorge is pretty popular for the scouts. Um, there's at least two Boy Scout camps, you know, between the Dalles and uh, Mount Hood. And on the other side of the river, you know, there's um, Catherine Creek. There's, there's half a dozen places that you can take the boys. If you look at a map showing search and rescue missions throughout Oregon, you'll notice three clusters. One is in Bend, and the other two are the Columbia River Gorge and Mount Hood territory that falls heavily on the Craig Rats. Right now, rescue crews are working to bring down six hikers and bring them to safety in the gorge. A dangerous rescue operation is underway on Mount Hood tonight. After Scrambling to save lives in the gorge today, several rescues... It's been a dangerous week for hikers in the Columbia River Gorge. Another hiker had... To we begin now with breaking news on Mount Hood, where the Hood River Sheriff's Office has been searching... So how does it all work? Something goes wrong, and then what? Uh, the sheriff gets notified. He he makes a judgment on depending on what kind of a what the information is, and if it's a serious one, he'll he'll call out the right crag rats. These are rescues in mountainous terrain, where you need outdoor skills, special gear, and experience. Everything from a fall on Mount Hood to a day hiker lost after dark. As soon as the sheriff calls on the crag rats, a chain reaction begins. A crag rat coordinator is established and teams mobilized based on the rescue needs and available Craig rats. Most of our call-outs are at night. Um, and it's always on the weekends because that's when the, the majority of people are out and about and getting into trouble or... You know, sometimes I might be puttering around the yard, but you know, often it's, I've gone for a long bicycle ride or gone for a long hike myself. But we're all doing something and usually we're coming home, we're ready to sit out on the deck with that nice ice cold beer and just watch the sunset and we get this call out. 
call out for injury at Eagle Creek. A male fell about 50 feet off rocks at Punchbowl and landed in the water. And I, it was about 10 o'clock at night and I'm watching a movie and I'm ready to go to bed and I get this call. Called, called for snowboard dead in collapsed crevasse. It was scouting location to take. This brings us to the paradox of outdoor adventure. No matter how far away and independent we might feel, there's no way around the fact that the decisions we make will inevitably affect others. Take, for example, just one of the missions in a place that usually has multiple rescues each year. A popular falls in the gorge proved to be deadly over the weekend. Apparently victims jumped off into Punchbowl one fatality, one hypothermic patient who was swimming to look for the deceased and one struck on ledge. Now it happened yesterday at Punchbowl Falls in the Columbia Gorge, just past of Cascade Locks. Witnesses say the victim had jumped in. So once the team is collected up, the coordinator reports back to the sheriff, okay, we have seven people, here they are. Um, So-and-so is picking up the rescue truck and headed to the trail and the others are gonna drive directly to the trail. Someone from the sheriff's office meets them at the trailhead to act as a communication hub, organizing and directing the mission. What the sheriff does then is immediately sends what we call a hasty team of ideas to get somebody up there quickly. So it's usually a couple of people going very light, maybe with some basic uh, medical gear and, and to you know, assess the situation and comfort the patient and radio back, okay, here's what we found and here's what we need. The mission at Punchbowl spanned nearly a day and a half. Six Craig Rats were part of an even larger team of nearly two dozen rescuers. Multnomah County Sheriff team uh, actually went in and got the, got the body. They had to dive because the body was circulating around in an eddy under the waterfall. Once the victim was retrieved, the Craig Rats packaged the body and brought it down the trail. Missions like this one that are so difficult and grim make it even more amazing to learn the one thing that all Craig Rats have in common. Do you think people that you rescue as part of the Craig Rats know that you guys are volunteers? Uh, yeah, I think, I don't know, I think it's a mixed bag. I think some people think that we're hired hands. I think some people are really surprised that, you know, wow, you, you don't get paid any money, you're just out here doing this. And while there's certainly rescues for people who deliberately take risks, most call-outs are for the kind of thing that could happen to any of us, no matter how prepared we are. Cole was pretty excited. I mean, he was watching the sun and, the, you know, and so he's like, well, if we climb, then we'll see the sun set, you know, go longer. So we kind of stair-step in a little bit, and, and he wants to go up a little higher, and I'm like, you know, I think we're high enough. And so we sat there for a little bit, and we watched the sun, you know, kind of drift off, but it's not dark. I'm like, hey, so we should just probably get going and head back. And as we got down a little bit farther, um, I'm like, Cole, I mean, because Cole's dragging at this point. I mean, he's just sliding butt down first, just making a dusty mess. And I said, hey, Cole, why don't you just stand up, put one foot in front of the other, and, and within one, maybe two steps, he got going so fast, he just started falling head over heels. 
and I just chased after him. We were having a radio meeting. I remember this. Tom's reading from his journal. On the night of the accident, he just happened to be at the Hood River Fire Station. So this came out over the speaker in the room. There was an accident on Long Hood. So that was at 9 o'clock. Then at 9.10, and the call-out text came. And it says, need Craig Rats to respond to 10-year-old boy, possible head injuries, White River. I picked him up and um, just talking to him, you know, trying to get him to awake, and he wouldn't. I wanted to get him back to camp so bad, <laughs> like there was going to be some kind of an ambulance there for me. All the movies where, you know, a guy picks someone else up, whether they're 200 pounds or whatever, and they lift him and they carry him for four miles. I remember having him in my arms, this little 80-pound boy, and running for probably a quarter mile, and just telling my arms, you're, you know, there's no way you're giving up. I don't care what it takes. You know, you're not giving up. And feeling the failure in my arms, feeling the failure in my legs and my back. I'm not a father, but I, I, I can't imagine that, you know, the, the stress uh, this father was having to go through. You know, he's out there camping with his 10-year-old son, you know, and, and just, it, it should be a nice, beautiful evening, and it just turns into this nightmare. He's in and out of consciousness, um, but he's breathing. I don't, uh, I don't see any other broken bones. Okay. I've got his head wrapped up. I know Cole. Look at me. Look at me. Can you look at me? I know. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I didn't know how much battery power I had left. You know, there was a big part of me that figured that uh, that help would come just by, you know, knowing where my phone was at um, or knowing where the parking lot was at or anything. Probably made the hardest call in my life <laughs> to call his mom. But uh, you don't know, you don't know how far help is away. When they told me that they were just leaving, I really didn't think there was a chance. can prepare all you know completely and you can have all the necessary items and then take a wrong fall step through a hole in the ice or something and you injure yourself and it's no reflection on how clumsy you are or not it's just it, it just happens and and then it's a matter of how you manage that from there while Kim took care of Cole up on the mountain the clock started ticking for Richard and Tom I was out the door within five minutes 
I had my kit all ready to do some backcountry anyway and, I had, and got the call and I was ready to go. That's kind of unusual. Usually I'm somewhere else and I have to go home, get my stuff and then uh, and then respond. So I was on the road by 10 o'clock heading up to the White River. At 10.45 I arrived at White River. Chris Gerton was the deputy. Richard Hallman was already there. I was just focused on, as a nurse, knowing what the call, you know, a young child with a potential head injury that, you know, time was critical. At 11 p.m., Richard and I left the trailhead for the victim. Cole was vomiting blood at that point, so I've got him on his side. Um, you know, as he's vomiting, I, I'm able to make sure his mouth is clear. You know, so I think he's probably got internal bleeding that I can't see. I have a flashlight, but... I don't want to mess with him too much. There's nothing I'd be able to do anyway. The call had gone out. A team had assembled. They'd reached the trailhead. But even with everyone responding as quickly as possible, Kim had still been waiting with Cole for nearly three hours. It just takes time, you know, and it's, it's uh, unfortunate because, you know, if somebody's injured, it just takes time for all of this. And that seems to be the linchpin in outdoor adventure. The very reasons that we like to get out. The solitude, the wild beauty, the distance from civilization are the very reasons that make rescue missions so difficult. The father did something that was incredibly right. The report came in that the father had started a fire and so it was like a moth to the flame. I was able to see the, the fire from a distance. That made the the initial response very fast, because I knew exactly from really far away where they were. Remember seeing the flashlights? Remember seeing the flashlights coming? It's like little angels really floating, you know, as they came. And I got on scene, and I did an initial assessment on the, on the kid and able to see his head wound, which, you know, was pretty significant. I provided communications back to the sheriff. Here's what we are, here are the vital signs, Here's, here are some of the issues. Knowing that we've already taken this much time, it's already taken this much time to get to him, you know, we just really want to get, get him out as quickly as possible. According to Tom's journal, EMTs arrived on the scene around 1245, and more Craig rats were on the way. And while a lot of rescues are done in areas that are only accessible by foot, which means hiking in and hiking out, Tom and Richard hoped in this case there might be a faster way. Below the ridge, there was a flat zone, and it was clear enough we thought a helicopter could land in there. And so they said that he was going to call the hospital and get him, get him life lighted out of there. And I'm like, oh, okay. The helicopter came in. It was kicking up so much dust, nobody could see anything. You no, know, we had our eyes closed, sand is whipping around everything. So. It, it was like a, a sandstorm. Helicopter ended up couldn't land. He couldn't even see the ground, so he wasn't, didn't know when he was touching down. The closest the helicopter was going to be able to land was back in the White River parking lot, nearly two miles away. My heart kind of sank a little bit because I knew that we had to, we had to load him up into a litter and we had to carry him. 115 began lowering the victim in the stokes or the litter, attached a wheel at the bottom of the marine. Yeah, it was steep, so we had the hand carry it down. And you know, if one person falls, the whole thing might tumble. So, 
you know, there's great communication between everybody. And they moved that boy out. I was at a running pace with uh, six of them, you know, just leading the way all the way out. And uh, um, it was, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, amazing pace uh, for hiking all that way in. And then, I mean, it's, it's downhill, but you're still carrying, you're still carrying, you know, 80, 90 pounds. Um, and uh, they didn't stop, not one time. Uh, I, I remember it was just, you know, it's getting really tired. But you, again, uh, the moment I think that, I think, okay, if this was me, I would want somebody to be totally focused and doing, you know, their best to save my life. They arrived in the parking lot around 2.30 a.m. Cole was handed off to the life flight crew and loaded onto the helicopter. It had been more than five hours since he fell. It was such a, such a relief. So I felt like I'd done everything, but there was no part of me that thought he would make it. In Tom's journal, it says he crawled into bed at 4 a.m., a full seven hours after he got the call-out text. For the Craig Rats, it's back to their own lives, their day jobs, their families. And it's the same for mountain search and rescue volunteers all across the country. Which makes you wonder. If there weren't people like you and Tom and others, um, who would go rescue people? There will always be people like us. If the Craig Rats didn't exist. I, I mean, I don't, no offense, but I, that's a non-question. I don't think that that's, I think there will always be, you know, there will always be those people out there. I think most of us feel, well, that could be us. Because a lot of these people are doing just the same kinds of things that I did, and they just happened to get slightly on the wrong side of that hairy edge. Where I was lucky, uh, they weren't quite so lucky. We hand off and then go home. You know, the job is done. The Craig Rats very rarely learn the outcome of the people they rescue. Medical privacy rules means that information doesn't get shared. You wonder what happens next. You know, in a lot of missions, most of our missions, we don't get closure. But in the case of Cole, that's not how the story ends. Doctors say Cole has three fractures in his skull, but tonight we have learned he has improved to fair condition. Right here, I'm cold, I'm alive, I can't believe, and I'm alive. He's doing phenomenal. And the speech Getting outdoors is the great equalizer. Accidents can happen to any of us, regardless our skill or experience. But that's the deal we make. We do our part to prepare, and then we accept some of that inherent risk because we believe the hike or the waterfall or the climb, whatever it is, is worth it. And that's why groups like the Craig Rats exist, because they believe it too. They believe it enough to volunteer their time and gear, and even accept some risk on our behalf so that we can all have those outdoor adventures. And when you think about it, that's a pretty good deal.
Special thanks to Travel Oregon, who helped to fund and launch this season's Here in the Gorge podcast. And to our sponsors, Portland Spirit Cruises and Events, Mount Adams Chamber of Commerce, Columbia Gorge Discovery Center, Bridgeside and Riverside Restaurants, Mary Hill Museum of Art, and Wet Planet Whitewater. Thanks to Tom Rousseau and Richard Hallman, and to the many other team members who are part of the mission to White River, including Craig Ratz, Dale Crockett, Brian Hukari, and Mark Flaming. Thanks also to the Parkdale EMT, the Life Flight crew, and the Hood River County Sheriff's Office. Craig Rat Christopher Van Tilburg gave the sense of place lecture that prompted this episode, and he also provided valuable facts and fact-checking. And a very special thanks to Kim and Cole and the entire Hancock family who so graciously shared their story. Technical and editorial support, along with a lot of hard work, came from Kelsey Alzheimer, Amanda Lawrence, and Lloyd Decay. This episode includes music from Vortex, Blue Dot Sessions, Brian Eno, and Ketza. The Here in the Gorge podcast is a project of the nonprofit Gorge Owned. Members of Gorge Owned contribute every day to our sense of this place. So thank you. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And then each episode gets delivered to you for free. You can find out more at our website, hereinthegorge.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Sarah Fox, and we're here in the Gorge.